Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker. I am the host and creator of the Bible in Life, and I am grateful that we can spend some time together today on this episode. Grateful if you are a regular listener that uh, we get to spend time together each and every week. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Bible in Life. It is uh, great to have you here on the podcast. My goal, my heart behind all of this, whether it's the Bible and Life podcast, the listener's commentary, or anything like that, all the stuff that I create online, the goal behind it is to provide really some online, clear Bible teaching that will really help you not just understand the Bible, but understand the Bible in such a way that you can put it into practice in your life. Hence, Bible and Life. I like to call it blue jeans theology. That is theology in everyday dress, theology in everyday language, theology that's down to earth and rooted in the context of everyday life. But the goal that we can live as good disciples of Jesus and follow him right in the context of our everyday life, not out there somewhere, not someday, but today, right now, right where we live. So that's that's the heart, that's the goal behind this podcast, and that's why I'm glad that we get to spend time together because it's what matters most to me, both living as a follower of Jesus and helping other people live as followers of Jesus. So thanks so much for being here. Uh, we are going to start a new uh, Advent series on this week's episode, and um, Advent really refers most precisely and technically to the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. So we're actually obviously a few days off. The first Sunday of Advent was this previous Sunday, um, just a couple days ago on December 3rd. That was the first Sunday of Advent in 2023. Uh, but even though we're technically off by a few days because of the release time of the week for this podcast, we are going to just spend the next four weeks from now uh, up through technically the end of Advent, the beginning of Christmas, uh, we are going to just talk four sessions about Advent. And Advent typically involves uh, various themes, usually the themes of hope, love, peace, joy. Not always in that order. Uh, the order sometimes can be a little bit different, but those are the four themes of Advent. Typically, um, the first one is hope, because Advent refers to coming. That's the idea. Jesus' first Advent, and then Jesus' second Advent, his coming, his appearing. Um, and the appropriate posture, therefore, for Advent is one of faithful waiting, and hence the idea of hope. Hope really uh, captures the posture and the spirit of Advent. And so, we're going to start uh, with hope, and then we're going to do joy, then we're going to do peace, and then we're going to culminate this Advent series with love. So that's going to be the order we're going to do it in. And so this is the first one, and we are going to talk about hope. And to do that, I just want to point out something that I find fascinating. I've been working through the Gospel of Matthew on the listener's commentary, and, you know, it's really fascinating how the Gospel of Matthew begins. If you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, what, what is the first page of the Gospel of Matthew? It's a genealogy. It's a list of names. So-and-so gave birth to so-and-so and such-and-such, -and -such, right? Like, it's a genealogy, full-on. That's how Matthew begins his Gospel. And uh, I can't imagine anyone... In the present time, in my cultural context, 
thinking that that's a good way to start a book. What? Like, don't you want to start with some action? Don't you want to like get the reader's attention? Don't you want to draw somebody into the story? You're starting with a genealogy, a list of names. And yet, there's a good reason why Matthew does that. We're not going to go into all the details here on the Bible and Life. For that, you can swing over to the listener's commentary. But it is really important for us to, just to, to pause and think about why does Matthew start with a genealogy? And what significance does that play? And then, how does that actually set up the story of Jesus in his gospel. And here's another fascinating little detail about all of that is when you finish your Old Testament, as you're reading through the Old Testament, you end with, in our current order of books in the Old Testament, we end with the book of Malachi. Then you turn the page and you start the book of Matthew. That's the way the Bible is arranged, right? So ends with Malachi, and then the New Testament begins with Matthew. And in that one page, that one page between Malachi and Matthew, the end of the old, beginning of the new, um, it, it feels like, if you just read straight through the Bible, like, boom, we're done with the old, we're ready for the new, we're ready to go. But literally, in that one page between the end of Malachi and the opening of Matthew with his genealogy, 400 years have passed by. 400 years. 400 years of Israel's history. Think of that. Like currently, if we go back 400 years, we're, we're just in the first half of the 1600s. Like, uh, uh, the United States of America doesn't exist. The, the first colonies from Europe are getting started on uh, what we now call North America. There, there are no, you know, there are no European colonies in North America. Uh, the 1600s were, we, we haven't even, I mean, we're just like a hundred years past the uh, Gutenberg's printing press. Like, we're still at a very different stage of history 400 years ago. So when Matthew begins with his genealogy, that's how far back in time the Old Testament ended, 400 years. And there has been all sorts of history that has affected the nation of Israel during those 400 years. Um, sometimes those 400 years are referred to the 400 years of silence. You can read some of the writings of the Jews during that time period, and they, they lament and bemoan and point out where have the prophets gone. There was no prophet in the land, right? Like, it was a time that was difficult and hard spiritually and religiously and theologically and emotionally and uh, culturally and socially. Like, so much happened in those 400 years. So when Matthew opens his gospel with a genealogy, it's not just a bare list of names. It is a list of names that invites us into a story. Not just any story, Jesus' story. Not just any story of Jesus, but Israel's story, of which Jesus' story is a part. Um, in fact, the way Matthew sets up his genealogy is he's going to tell the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Those two lines, son of David and son of Abraham, again, those are, those are like anchor points in the story of Israel. Anchor points, therefore, in the story of Jesus. That's what Matthew is doing by telling us the genealogy. Is he, is, he is saying that Jesus, 
Jesus is entering into the world, into history, at this culminating moment in the history of Israel. He's coming as the son of David, as the promised seed of Abraham. He is coming as the culmination of this story. And so the genealogy for Matthew's first readers uh, did grab their attention, did engage their mind and their heart. Uh, uh, alarm bells and whistles would go off. And it's like, yes, yes, yes. We have been waiting and longing and watching and praying. We've been wondering and hoping. When would the words of the prophets be fulfilled? When would the words of the psalmist come to fruition? When would the high king of uh, sit on David's throne and achieve all that had been promised uh, for him to do? When would that happen? And Matthew begins with a genealogy and says, here's the one. Here's the, the, the royal king, the one with royal blood flowing through his veins. Here is the Messiah you have been waiting for and longing for and hoping for. And so when we look at Jesus' first coming, what we, what we see is Advent. Advent. Um, the waiting faithful of God, watching praying, looking, waiting, hoping, and Jesus comes. He comes. And that is Advent, the first Advent of the Messiah, the Son of God. Permit me then to read just a few words from a book by a kind of poet philosopher named Peter Kreeft. And it's actually a book on suffering, but in the culminating chapter of the book, he writes some really helpful, beautiful, incredible words about the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. He says that, uh, he says this, we are led not finally to the answer, uh, but to the answerer. As in the book of Job, God ends his silence and speaks his word. Christ is the word of God, the answer of God. All the words of the prophets and philosophers and poets are mere echoes of this word. In him, Jesus, all the clues converge, like many fingers, all pointing from different directions and distances to the same one. And he continues a little later in the chapter and he says, besides being concretely real in our world, he, Jesus, our answer is also our story, our history. Our story is also his story. The answer is not a timeless truth, but a once-for-all catastrophic event, as real as the stories in today's newspaper. God didn't varnish over our sin and our suffering. He came into it. He came into it like a dentist or a surgeon to get it all out. In fact, he became our garbage man. He touched and took away our garbage. God became man. We touched him. We handled him. He came to us. And then, once again, a, just a little bit later in the chapter, uh, Peter Kreeft restates, He came. He entered into space and time and suffering. He came like a lover. Love seeks above all intimacy, presence, togetherness, not even happiness. Better be unhappy with her than uh, happy without her. That is the word of the lover. And he came. That is the salient fact, the towering truth that alone keeps us from 
ending it all. He came. That is the only thing that matters. Who cares about cars and success and miracles and long life when you can have God sitting right beside you? And that really is the point of Advent. The Jews were waiting and longing and hoping, and we still in our present world look around waiting and hoping and longing, and we can look back at Advent and say, he came, he came. And yet the reality is, Peter Kreef says, he came as our answer. He came to get all the garbage and the sin and the yuck out. And yet it's not all gone. Theologians speak about the already and the not yet, or maybe better said, the already and the still more. So already he's come. Already he's risen from the dead, right? Already God has become flesh. And yet we still wait for more. Um, And so we still live with the posture of waiting. We still live uh, with hope hoping, waiting, longing for God to finish the task, for God to make all things new, we still are looking for a second advent. And so as we enter into this season of advent, we have this distinct posture of looking back in gratitude and in joy and in wonder at what God did in the first advent, while at the same time looking forward with hope and longing at the second advent. And with that in mind, let me read from Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes these words that really speak of our advent hope. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us, that there's more to come, and we are waiting for that. And so he says in verse 19, For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. The whole creation is looking for the day when the sons and daughters of God will come into their own so that all of creation can be put back to proper working order. For the creation, he says, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but we ourselves having the first fruit of the Spirit, the already, we already have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly, for our adoption as sons and daughters, that is, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, through perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. And that's our posture. Even now, just as the faithful Jews in those 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, those faithful Jews living in the days of Isaiah and the psalmist and the prophets, right? As they waited eagerly for God to do what he said he would do, we too, though we can look back and see God did something incredible in the first advent, we still wait eagerly in hope for all that God has planned for his people. We don't have it all yet, 
We have some of it already, but there's still a whole lot more to come. And so, in the spirit of Advent, we live waiting. Our posture is one of waiting, not just waiting sorrowfully, waiting gladly, eagerly, joyfully. In fact, um, N.T. Wright commenting on these words here in Romans chapter 8 speaks of uh, the whole of creation being like on tiptoe with anticipation, uh, like a little child looking out the window for, for somebody to come uh, on tiptoe. Can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. And when I think of that picture, I think of what a perfect season Christmas is. And that image is for the posture of Advent, being on tiptoe and waiting. I remember as a child myself, that was such a common thing, looking out the window, waiting. When will the cousins get here? When will it be time to go? Uh, Waiting uh, for Christmas to get here. And I saw that with my own kids, right? Looking eagerly, and it just took so long to get here, waiting on tiptoe with eager anticipation. Well, that's our hope. That's our posture. Uh, That's what Advent calls us to, to be a people on tiptoe in eager anticipation of the King's final arrival and all things to be made new. And so this Advent season, may you fix your gaze both backwards on what God already did in Christ and forward to what more is still to come. And may you open your hands and wait with Advent hope. I hope you have a wonderful Advent season, a wonderful Christmas season. And if you are marked by heartache and suffering and longing and pain, I pray that you would know the presence of God's Spirit, the presence of Advent hope in the person of Jesus. And to those of you who make the Bible and Life possible, could I just extend a special as we come to the end of this year? Thanks a ton for keeping us going. Thanks a ton for your generosity and your prayers. Um, there are thousands of people all around the world who listen both to the Bible and life, the listener's commentary, use some of, of the other resources that we have put out, do so for the sake of their faith and faithfulness to God. And that's only possible because of you and your generous support. So thanks a ton for that. And if you uh, want to join the team of supporters, or if you want to give a special year-end gift to help us start 2024 strong, uh, just swing over to johnwhitaker.net, click the Give button, And you can set up a one-time or a recurring monthly donation right there. May God bless you all this Advent season. I look forward to talking with you again next week.